0: on this holiday weekend for the joys and the freedoms for the celebrations and family for the uh, excitement that this day holds for many. May we Lord be just as excited for your word and for worship for your presence as you reveal yourself to us. Thank you for these words that come from the Sermon on the Mount that teach us uh, how to live, how to get along with each other, how Lord you call us to be your disciples. So forgive us when we fail. Uh, Lord, give us strength to be strong as we seek to follow you. In your name we pray. Amen. So we continue our journey of Jesus' teachings through the Sermon on the Mount. My first question for you this morning is, what's the theme of this Sermon on the Mount? The kingdom of heaven. Keep that in mind as we continue to journey through this together. Last week, Kevin, uh, Kevin gave us a hint. We talked, you remember what we talked about last week in the Sermon on the Mount? Three-letter word. Starts with an L, the law. The law and righteousness. And that Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to what? Fulfill, Fulfill the law. He gave us a new covenant, a new law. Jesus is not reacting to the law itself, but to how the law has been used. And the Sermon on the Mount becomes a way for us to understand how he calls us to live out that fulfillment of the law. Last week in verse 20, we heard a warning that Jesus gave us. A warning to that our righteousness is, might be greater than the righteousness of the scribes and of the Pharisees. And so, as we look at righteousness as a right living, not just in good works, we begin to see that Jesus is talking about the inward life, the inward heart, too. I don't know if it's coincidental or not that this passage falls upon this 4th of July weekend, But I realize it's one of the most explosive and potentially dangerous trepidations that all of us face daily. But it's one that we also have the ability to most easily prevent and reconcile. Let us hear this new standard that Jesus gives us on murder and anger. Join me, if you would, in your Bibles that you brought, your devices, or the little red Bibles in the pews... As we continue reading Jesus' teachings from Matthew 5, beginning today at verse 21, going through verse 26. Matthew five, twenty-one. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to the court with him. Or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be be to God. So in what ways is our righteousness to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees? A defendant was on trial for murder in Oklahoma. There was strong evidence that he was guilty, but there was no corpse that they could find. In the defense closing arguments, the lawyer knew that the client would probably be convicted. So he resorted to a trick, and this is what he said. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I have a surprise for you all. And the lawyer looked at his watch. Within one minute, the person presumed dead in this case will walk into the courtroom. And he began to look at the courtroom door. The jurors were stunned, and all of them began to eagerly look at the courtroom door too. A minute passed, and nothing happened. Finally, the lawyer said, actually, I made up the previous statement, but all of you looked with anticipation. I therefore put it to you that there is reasonable doubt whether anyone was killed and insist that you return a verdict of not guilty. The jury was confused and they retired to deliberate. After a little while, not too long, they came back and pronounced a verdict, guilty, But how, inquired the lawyer, you must have had some doubt. I saw all of you stare at the door. But the jury foreman answered, oh, we did. But your client did not. Nobody this morning is here on trial for murder. And you might think, well, this sermon really doesn't apply to me. But I advise you, I advise us, to look and see where it does, Because each of us are probably more guilty than we realize. Where are we told in the Scriptures not to murder? The Ten Commandments, right? It's the Sixth Commandment. Jesus takes this traditional interpretation and expands upon it in the righteousness that we are called to live. Scribes and Pharisees followed a strict interpretation of the commandment. But Jesus looks at more than just one falling into law on the outside, but also from one's heart. Murder might kill a person's body, but anger can hurt so much more. The traditional interpretation of this sixth commandment by the Pharisees and scribes falls short. So Jesus begins to explain in three different situations what he means. So you need your scriptures, turn back to chapter 5, verse 22, and we'll follow along this morning as Jesus explains three different situations of judgment, insult, and when we say, you fool. The first one he talks about in verse 22 is one of judgment. One who is angry with brother or sister is liable or in danger of judgment. One accused of judgment was tried in the local council. This was kind of the court of the common criminals. Insult was a little more serious. One who insults another is subject to more severe consequences by the Sanhedrin council. This high court is reserved for serious criminals. It's this type of insult that is usually driven by pride and arrogance that's bred on the inside. The third situation lifted up is one where you call another you fool. The Greek word used here is moros. What word do we hear out of that? The moron. You're calling them a moral fool and attacking the core of their character. You're destroying a person's name. Which makes the accuser subject to the hell of fire. Verse 22 says. Now this was a real place. This is a real place known as Gehenna or the Valley of Hanam. This actually was a place outside of Jerusalem. It's where all the trash and refuge was, refuse was taken and burned. Here the filth of the city was kept and evil was destroyed. This last example in verse 22 that Jesus gives us of murder is not just the accused heart, but perhaps the accuser too. As we proceed in verse 23 and 24, Jesus talks about offering a gift at the altar. What type of gifts were brought to the altar? Offerings, that's good. Sacrifices. And what was a sacrifice? But it was atoning of sin for the brokenness of our relationship with God because of something that we had done wrong. And the sacrifice restored that relationship. The sacrifice was also supposed to come with a confession and an act of true repentance where one seeks to try to right the wrong. This brokenness between God and a person could not be healed until the breach between one person and another was mended. In other words, we can't be right with God until we are right with our brother and sister. If we're seeking forgiveness from God, we need to seek forgiveness also from each other. If we're feeling distance from God, It's important to make sure and be honest that there's not distance between us and another person. On a more personal note, when I find myself angry with another, I often find that there's something inside of myself that I'm angry with, too. It's so hard to look at our life. It's so hard to admit the places in which we find ourselves angry with others, even with ourselves. But it's crucial. It's crucial to our healing. Righteousness of scribes and Pharisees condemned the murderer, but those with hurtful emotions and hateful emotions were just as guilty. Do you remember back in the early 90s in West Memphis, Arkansas, the murder trial of the West Memphis Three? Many years ago, but it was the trials who follow up proceedings seem to go on and on for almost 20 years. At the time of the trial, the father of one of the victims suddenly rushed at the young men screaming, I'll chase you all the way to hell, he said. A writer observed, I understand the Father's fierce anger, but there's something almost prophetic about His words.
1: If we allow our
0: hatred for those who have wronged us to go unchecked, it will eventually destroy us. We will follow our own bitterness all the way to hell, He writes. If we don't work out our anger, things will get worse. We'll get worse. I think that's what Jesus is saying in these next verses of 25 and 26. Come to terms quickly with your accuser, he says. Anger breeds anger. And we let it brew and it doesn't die. It results in brokenness and harm and something that we often regret. The result, look at verse 25. Where do we end up? Where do we end up? What was it, Sue? A prison. It, that It says at the end of verse 25, we end up in prison. And for them, that was literal prison. But for us, I think it's a figurative place. And we all know what we mean. As a pastor, I see this. And often it shows itself at the saddest or hardest occasions, such as funerals, and sometimes even at the happiest occasions, such as weddings. We let it brew for so long that it builds a wall that shuts people out, leaves people out, people we know, people we love, for the rest of their and our lives. So what can we do? What can we do to prevent this from happening? We must be the one who seeks the reconciliation. We must humble ourselves and step towards healing, especially in our personal relationships. So here comes the hard question that this scripture faces us with. Is there someone in your life or some situation in your family in which you need to take a step towards reconciliation. There's a sense of urgency here, Christ implies in verse 25, that we need to put things right with our sister and brother because one day, and we don't know when, we or they won't be here, and we'll stand in the final court, and we'll be judged. Let us seek reconciliation while we can. The scribes and Pharisees did not go far enough in applying the law. In this case, the sixth commandment of do not murder. Jesus says that anger and hostility are also out of bounds for those who are part of the kingdom of heaven. But he also says he knows it will happen. And when he does, he gives us direction on what we need to do. And what is that? That our righteousness be greater than the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. That righteousness, right living can be summed up in one word. We hear it often. And that word is love. Love shows no hostility. Love shows no hostility. But remember, God's grace abounds when we do show hostility thus making reconciliation possible. And man, don't we live in a world in which needs reconciliation. It's Christ's love for us that removes our guilt and that reconciles us to God. May we show the same kind of love the next time we are faced with someone who makes us angry and today take the next steps towards reconciliation for someone Who has. And that step, that step for us is a step closer to the kingdom of heaven. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for a reminder that even through your word today, as we hear about murder and anger. Lord, we recognize in our own life, the words we've said, the thoughts we've had, the relationships and people we've wronged and those who have wronged us. So Lord, it's your forgiveness that we seek first. It's your grace and your mercy that we seek next. But Lord, it's your love for us and your love for them that perhaps can help us turn these situations in our life in which we faced towards some healing, some reconciliation, some resolve. Lord, that your kingdom be- can become a greater reality for all. In your name we pray. Amen. So what a greater Sunday to have communion then realize the very death and life and resurrection that Christ paid for us to reconcile us to God that we can be reconciled to each other in this time of communion remember that we use the cups and the bread and so if you've not received one or need one please raise your hand and Vicky or Brian will be happy to bring one to you As we receive communion remember this isn't a Methodist table this is the Lord's table all are invited to share in communion together this morning let us hear these words as we prepare Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace